You know, uh, I almost forgot a very important phrase. We have some uh, new grandparents in the congregation. You can't ignore grandparents. My goodness, I totally understand that. And uh, Jim and Lana Ducey, our proud grandparents, to Sean Patrick McEwen. Sean was born to Michelle and Patrick, and he's eight pounds, three ounces, so uh, we rejoice with you. Let's take our Bibles, and we'll turn to the book of Proverbs, and you can go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. As we conclude our study in the book of Proverbs, something that has really stood out to me as we've gone through this study is the fact that There's one of two paths you can choose. You can choose the path of the wicked, which will bring about terrible consequences, or you can choose the path of the righteous, which brings about blessing and an opportunity to deepen your understanding of God's truth and to grow in your relationship with Him. But here's what we have to see as we consider those two paths. Your actions determine which path you've chosen. Even if I say I've chosen the path of righteousness, if my behavior doesn't match up with that claim, then that claim's meaningless. If I've chosen the path of righteousness, it's going to show in what I do because I will do the right thing before God. The question that often we find today, though, is this. Many people question what is really right and what is really wrong. For much of our world who have not turned to God's truth, God's revelation, that question's really up for grabs, isn't it? If there isn't a higher authority, if there isn't the God of revelation then any idea about what's right or what's wrong is kind of relative. It depends on my feeling in the moment. What we need to see is this. God's Word is a standard for all people all the time. We don't have to look at what's right and what's wrong and see how we feel at the moment. God has revealed what's right and what's wrong. And our duty as followers of God is to live what His revelation shares, to do what God says. Now this morning, we're going to begin, as we recap the book of Proverbs, with this truth. God guides us to do the right thing. And really, when we look in His Word, we find that He expresses what is right through his revelation very, very clearly. No guesswork involved. When God wants us to understand that something is wrong, he reveals it in Scripture. And he reveals it with clarity. We don't need to question it. We don't need to wonder about it. God has said it very clearly in his word, and we can get a hold of that and make it a life principle, a life standard. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. And as we look at verses 2 and 3 of this passage, 
we find that Solomon shares with us that God has expressed to us His truth. Part of what goes on in Proverbs is an expression of that truth from father to son. And notice as we pick it up in the second verse, it says this, that these Proverbs are written for attaining wisdom and discipline. Now, what does that mean, refresher? Wisdom carries with it the idea of taking God's principles, God's truths, and living them out in a practical way. That's the idea of wisdom. Not just accumulating knowledge, but having that knowledge and experientially doing something with that knowledge. That's what we find, first of all, revealed here, that God wants us to have wisdom and discipline. That is, the ability to follow through on that wisdom. But then he goes on to say it's for understanding words of insight. God has given us insight as to how to live life in His Word. And understanding takes that knowledge and applies it to a specific situation. It takes the principles that God has shared and says, how do I use it here in this life situation? God gives us His Word for that purpose. It's not a textbook that we just browse through. The Word of God gives us insight for living our daily lives. And that's brought out here as well. And then, verse 3, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. God wants us to show consistency. That's what the idea of having a disciplined life is. Showing consistency in doing what God says. And prudence carries with it the idea of very wise, consistent application of His truth again in daily life. And then look at the final part of this third verse. So that we will do what is right and just and fair. Do you want consistency in knowing the right thing to do? Go to God's Word. Look at what God reveals in the Scripture. And you will consistently know what God has expressed for you to know as to how to do the right thing. You know, we live in a world where the idea of right and wrong is dictated by the situation we're in or by the motives that we have. Even if I do something wrong, if my heart was good and I had the right motives, then it's okay somehow. That's what our world tells us. The idea that something is right for all people all the time, extremely foreign to our world's outlook, our world's mindset today. In order for us to find consistency, there has to be a standard outside the thoughts of our current age, outside our feelings, outside a given situation. There has to be a final place where we can go and say, this is right and this is wrong. Because here's the problem. If we exclude the absolutes that God shares in His revelation, then anything and everything is up for grabs. 
Basically, I will form my understanding of what is truly moral and ethical on either my opinion or the opinion of somebody else. And here's the problem. An opinion is just that. An opinion. God gives us revelation as the Creator. He is infinite in His understanding. He designed us. It is right for Him to express what is right and wrong as Creator. But when the created steps in and says, no, I think I know better, disaster ensues. Problem after problem. Think of this proverb. Proverbs 18.2. It gives us insight into this issue. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding. And then look at the second half of this. But delights in airing his own opinion. We have many fools today who weigh in on the revelation of God and say, disregard it. That was for then, this is now. Don't worry about what God says. Here's my opinion on the matter. And then they'll weigh in. And I want you to look at what has happened to our society as a result of that. Are we better for disregarding the truth of God? Has our society improved because we've abandoned the moral standards that God reveals in His Word? Watch the evening news sometime and you have your answer. As we attempt to rewrite what God has expressed in His Word, we find that man becomes more and more confused about what is right and what is wrong. There's no consistency. There's no final place where we can appeal, and therefore, anything is up for grabs. Whatever you feel like doing in the moment, go ahead and do it. Because your opinion is as valid as my opinion. So we can't really state that this is right or this is wrong. As a matter of fact, the only thing that's wrong in our society is to say that something's wrong. When you take a stand and you say, hey, this is wrong, you're intolerant. And that's the only sin that our society recognizes, the idea of intolerance. God wants us to understand that he has clearly expressed what is right, what is wrong. God's Word is the source that we go to to discover that. So as God guides us, He expresses what is right. But then, I want us to go to another passage. Turn to Proverbs 21. A few pages past. Proverbs 21, verse 2. God examines our heart. Our society tells us, well, listen, the right way to make a decision, just go with your heart on the matter. Just go with your heart. Do what your heart says. And if you do what your heart says, then everything's wonderful. Everything's fine. Just go with your heart. You ever heard that? Well, here's the problem. Proverbs 21, verse 2. All a man's ways seem right to him. 
But the Lord weighs the heart. We think we're right all the time. And even if we kind of think we might be wrong, we'll justify it and make what we might think in our heart is wrong right. And here's the problem with the heart. The heart is sick, twisted, deceitful. Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct. Sorry about the missing C there. According to what his deeds deserve. God looks at our heart. And look at how he describes this heart that is to be our guide for many. It's something that's going to deceive you. Your heart, because of sin, and my heart, because we've been marred by sin, will take what God has said is wrong, and it'll look at it and it'll say, you know, it's really not that bad. As a matter of fact, I could see where, while you feel it's bad in this moment, there are certain situations where this could really be viewed as right, and maybe this is one of them. We deceive ourselves if we only follow the heart. That heart needs to be transformed by the truth of God. So just following the heart isn't an answer. There has to be an outside source of truth, outside ourselves, outside others, that we appeal to. In the book of Ephesians, Paul reminds us that if we don't go with God's truth, God's teaching, we're going to be people who are just blown here and there, kind of back and forth like waves with every wind of teaching. Now, just prior to this 13th verse, the Word of God points out that God gave us some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastor, teachers. And the purpose of that is bringing forth the truth of God. And look at the goal of having the Word of God presented until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. If you want to get confused... Follow man's opinion. Follow your own heart. But if you want to have stability and strength, turn to God's Word. Look at the imagery that he uses here. Infants tossed back and forth by the waves. Can you imagine what would happen if a baby got loose from your arms in the ocean? Can you imagine what the waves would do with the baby? Incapable of barely walking, barely standing... The waves would just overtake the baby. The baby would be gone. What about on an exceptionally windy day? Take that baby who's just learning to walk and put them outside and let them try and walk on a windy day. Blown here and there. Problems, right? God wants us to be mature in Christ. And the only way we can be mature in Christ is to deepen our relationship with Him. To understand what He says. 
to allow his word to transform our hearts. God sees into our heart in a way that we can't. The writer of Hebrews said this, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul, the spirit, the joints, and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, I want you to think about that again. It judges, God's word judges, the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's why we need God's word rather than going with our heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Now, that's another important aspect of what we learn in God's Word. I'm not answerable to myself. I'm not answerable to society. Ultimately, who am I answerable to? God. The whole concept that Scripture gives us is there is one in authority over us. We see what He has revealed that we are to do, and we're to submit to that as the Creator. We're to submit to Him. Not allowing anything or anyone to take His place. Now turn back to Proverbs 2. In Proverbs 2, we find that yes, God expresses what is right through His revelation. He examines our heart, but then He also empowers us to do the right thing. In Proverbs 2, the Scripture says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it, as for silver, and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, we're going to pause there for a moment. What is required to be able to do what God expresses in His Word? Is it me just looking and saying, well, you know, I guess that really does make more sense to obey what God says, so I'm going to go and do it. I'm going to live it out. You know what happens when you try and do it in your own strength and in your own flesh? Not much. That's where that passage that Gary read... By the way, Gary, you did a great job reading that. I, I always get my tang tangled on this one. But what it expresses to us is this idea. If I do it on the strength that lies within me, Forget it. I'll fail. We can know what's right. The scripture says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I cannot carry it out. By the way, there's that missing C we had a little while ago. <laughs> what it's saying is this. God tells us what's right to do. We may want to do what's right, but here's the issue. Even though I desire to do it, I can't carry it out. Because in my weak, frail humanity, I'm not going to be able to pull it off. He explains further, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do, not want to do, this I keep doing. 
Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And here's our answer. In the New Testament, we find an answer to this dilemma. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Even though we in our own flesh might try to do what's right, let me tell you something. Apart from the transforming power of God, we'll never pull it off. It is only when we turn to Jesus Christ, His forgiveness, His ability to take us and empower us to do that which is right. Only when that comes do we find the ability to live what God has called us to. But isn't it a great truth? Thanks be to God. How do we do this? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we humble ourselves before God and say, God, I cannot live what is right on my own, but thanks be to God, Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive me of my sin and to make me a new person, to give me forgiveness for that failure, that law that I break. Through Jesus Christ, there is victory. You know, the passage goes on in the 8th chapter to say, therefore there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great promise? God delivers us. His word was put in charge, as we're going to see when we transition into the book of Galatians, to show us our need for Christ. It says the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And here's the thing. It's not by doing the right thing that I'm justified before God because I fail. I'm made right with God by faith, by believing that in Jesus Christ I have forgiveness, by trusting that when Jesus died on the cross, He forgave my sins and He opened the way for me to have forgiveness and a relationship with the Father. All of those failures... Past, present, future, forgiven by the power of the cross. And faith just reaches out and says, God, I take you at your word that if I trust this, I have forgiveness and I take it to myself. That's a wonderful truth. And that's a truth that we need to grasp. God has given us forgiveness. God has given us the opportunity to have him empower us to live a new life, to be transformed by the power of Christ, to live out his truth. Now, second point. God guides us in doing the right thing, but man goes down the wrong path apart from God. How so? First of all, we confuse right and wrong if there's no standard. Now, we've touched on that earlier in the passage, in the sermon. But I want us to explore this a little further. 
When we try to be the standard for what's right and wrong, there's a huge problem. People always believe they're right. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs 12, verse 15. And this is such a profound passage. It says this. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of the fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Remember, a fool is not a stupid person. As a matter of fact, a fool could be highly educated. But a fool is someone who disregards God, excludes God from the equation. And part of what makes them a fool is the whole attitude of arrogance. I know what's right. Nobody can tell me. I'm the standard. But here's the problem with that kind of thinking. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. You can look at something and you can say, I'm right in this. And you can say that with the utmost sincerity. But here's the problem. Even though it may seem right to you, it's going to end in death. When I lived in Buffalo, New York, someone had the brilliant idea that they could go over Niagara Falls in a, ca in a kayak. They felt that they would be propelled by how rapidly the water moves out sufficiently to where their trajectory would go something like that as they went off Niagara Falls, landing safely in the river. So he decided he was going to do it, and he did. But here's the problem. The trajectory wasn't like this. It was like this. <laughs> and he became crawfish bait, crushed under tons and tons of water. It seemed right to him, but the end was destruction. And there are a lot of people who do that with their own spirituality. I'll find the path that's right for me as far as having a relationship with God. But here's the problem. Wrong trajectory. You don't do this, you do this. We come to God on God's terms, never our own. If I go with the way that seems right to me, here's the problem. I have sin in my heart and in my life and in my attitudes. And I won't naturally do what God says is right. And even though I might look at it and say, this seems right to me, so what? Because I'm not the one that determines it. The Creator is. God is. And what causes death? James gives us insight into this when he says this, Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? Death. 
So even though I may look and say, hey, I'm going to do my own thing in this, I'm going to go my own way, God's the one that determines what is sin, not me. God is the one who determines the consequence to that sin, death, a spiritual separation from God, not me. We can have people who say there's no such thing as sin, there's no such thing as a consequence, there's no such thing as eternal separation from God and hell, and we can say all of that and we can look at it and we can feel very good about it. But guess what? We're wrong because God has revealed something different. Here's something else we need to understand. When we go our own way, we confuse right from wrong. In order to go the right way, we have to commit to keeping God on God's path. Turn with me to Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4, verses 25 through 27. In this passage, Solomon reminds us that we're to fix our eyes straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only the ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Even as those who are being transformed by the power of God, let me tell you something. There's still a requirement of spiritual wisdom. If I am looking to step off of the path of righteousness that I'm following and step into sin, it's going to derail my trek on that path. You know, when I think of this passage and it says to keep your eyes on the path, I think of hiking in the woods on an unimproved trail. There's tree roots and rocks along the way. And you know what happens if you walk down the path and you're looking at the trees and the birds and the squirrels and the animals and the plants and not really paying attention to where you're walking? You take a facial, right? You go right down because you trip over one of those roots or rocks or potholes or you step in a mud bog or something dangerous. You have to watch where you're going and walk a little bit and stop and look and then walk a little further and stop and look if you want to be successful. But if you walk looking, you know what happens? You start to move in the direction that you look. When I was first learning how to drive a car before they had the push buttons and they had the knobs, you know what happened? When I'd want to change the station, if I would turn the knob this way, the steering wheel went this way. And if I wanted to turn it this way, the steering would go that way. I had to leave the radio off because I didn't have coordination to hold that straight and turn. You go the way that you're looking, the way that you're starting to move. And this is true of our feet. If my feet start in the direction of evil, I'll go there every time. I need to point those feet and those eyes toward the things of God. Final point. We must not confuse sacrifice with obedience. Turn with me, and this is the last verse we'll look at in Proverbs together. Proverbs 21.3. Proverbs 
To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, what is being communicated by that? There are many who believe, hey, as long as I do some religious things, that will somehow offset the bad things that I do. And they kind of cancel each other out. Now, in Solomon's day, the way we worship would have been through sacrifice and observing the law. And many in Solomon's day thought, I'll go out and do the stuff that I want to do and kind of live like the people around me, but then when I come in for sacrifice, everything's fine. As long as I keep up that obligation, that cancels it out. Here's the problem. Our sinful activity defiles the worship that we do. If we don't confess it and forsake it, and just say, hey, I'm hanging on to this, instead of saying, I'm going to turn this over to God and have Him transform me in this. If, if we don't learn to do that, the things that we do in worship of God and in obedience to Him become defiled by those things. There has to be a humility that takes place in our hearts to where we say, I've stepped outside of your will, God, and I confess that and I turn these things over to you. Forgive me. And help me to walk new and afresh. And that's a path that God wants us to follow. There are a couple of examples in the Old Testament of people who confuse this sacrifice with obedience. The story of Saul. Saul was instructed to go to the Amalekites and basically wipe it off of the face of the earth. They had become so defiled so evil that God, although he had been long-suffering and patient for a long time, said, it's time to bring judgment and you will be the tool through which I bring judgment to these people. But what did Saul do? Saul saw the cattle and the sheep and the rich king and he said, I know better than what I was told to do. So I'm going to at least keep the livestock. So he's coming along the trail and Samuel comes to meet him. And Samuel says, did you do everything that God asked you to do? And Saul says, yes. And then Samuel replies, well then what's all of the lowing of cattle and the bleeding of sheep? And then he makes this statement. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings? You see, what Saul said to Samuel was, hey, uh, I, I kept the cattle and the sheep so I could sacrifice them to the Lord. Yeah, 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 that's it. And what Samuel says to him is, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as as much in obeying the voice of the Lord? Look at the last part of this. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed, that is, doing what God says, is better than the fat of rams. In other words, don't try and buy God off 
I'll do these things and you let me do these. God does not operate like the city of Chicago. Okay? Can't bribe him, can't pay him off. No quid pro quo. <laughs> we can't do that. Look at this passage. Micah 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer the firstborn of my transgression, for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, this person is talking about amping up sacrifice to where he even talks about human sacrifice, which God finds detestable. But look at the simple answer that's given. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God seeks. Obedience, humility, coming to the place to where we say, God, I submit to you. And I want us all to understand as clearly as we can understand it that the only place that we come to with humility, the, the only way that we can enter into a relationship with God is by humbling ourselves before him and receiving the grace that he's given us in Christ Jesus. It means turning from my sin, turning toward God, and seeking Him to empower me to be transformed, the power of His Word in my life. Let me encourage you this morning. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, see if any of the attitudes that I've talked about this morning have led you off the path, have caused you to Abandon what you know from God's Word as the Spirit speaks to you. If He's touched your heart and said, you need to address this area, address it between you and God. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to bow down before God. Between the two of you, confess this, turn from it, and ask God to transform you in this. And if you've never come to the place to where you've experienced that forgiveness and freedom that I've described today that you can have through Christ Jesus, then let me encourage you with this. I'd love the chance to talk with you about how you can know and experience that forgiveness. I'll be at the back of the church, close of the service. There'll be people up front who, if you come up here, they would love the opportunity to talk with you, to share with you. Any of our elders that are in the church, and I'm just going to ask the elders here to stand for a moment so people can see who they need to come to and talk to. Any of these men would be happy to talk with you about how you can find and discover that relationship with God. So let me encourage you to do that. To find out how you can know that you have forgiveness, that you're on the right path and can stay on the right path through the power of God. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for our study of the book of Proverbs. What a privilege it has been to study these important precepts and truths. Let us live these truths faithfully. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.